0: Now, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it, turn it on, make your way to Psalm 127. We're going to be wrapping up our Ascent series this morning. Now, you might be thinking, well, Chris, you said there were 15 Psalms in the Ascent series, and this is only number eight, and you would be right. All right, so we're going to, we're going to save the back half for a later time, maybe next spring, maybe next summer, we're going to do Ascent 2.0, something like that. But I'm excited about Psalm 127 today, a lot of rich truths for us and so let's, let's just pause for a moment. Let's pray. Let's ask God to help us before we jump into his word this morning. God, we, we come to you and uh, gosh, these words are, are written so long ago and we can be guilty of just seeing them as, as ancient words on a page. God, would you remind us these are written by real people following a real God, facing real challenges and real, real, real trials in their lives, just like we face every single day of our lives. God, we pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would bring these words to life in a meaningful way. In our hearts, and our mind, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd be active in every individual heart and mind and spirit to apply these truths in a transformational way that we would all walk out of here looking uh, more like your son, Jesus God. So would you comfort the soul that needs to be comforted this morning? Would you challenge the soul that needs to be challenged? God, would you unsettle even those of us who need to be unsettled and pressed out of our comfort zone to, to grow deeper in you this morning. We pray all these things in your son's name, amen. All right, Psalm 127, uh, written by King Solomon. So of the 15 Psalms of Ascent, this is the only one, actually, that's written by David's son, uh, Solomon. He was known as one of, if not the wisest men to ever live, right? So if you're familiar with some of the Old Testament books like Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, Same kind of flavor in those books that you're going to see in Psalm 127 because the same guy authored all of that. So this is known as a, as a wisdom psalm, again, because it's packed with so much practical wisdom for us. Really good stuff. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever bought a piece of furniture that you had to assemble at home? Maybe from Ikea, Target, Walmart, one of those type places. Um, man I can remember a few years ago we bought a piece of furniture for our living room and it came in this big old box right and so you open up the box and it's got a trillion pieces and a billion screws and all those kinds of things and there's usually like, like this little baggie that has this thing in it called an instruction manual and, um, and I, and I kind of looked at all the pieces and I'm like I got this and so I set the instruction manual aside. I'm like, that's probably for the lady folk, you know, for, for us dudes. You know, we, we just kind of know how to do this. And so I spent about an hour and 45 minutes building that sucker. And I got it to where it looked just right, and I was standing up. I was kind of proud of myself, and I was looking at it. And out of the corner of my eye, I noticed something sitting off to the right. And I looked, and I thought, uh-oh that's a piece of the furniture like, like like that actually looks like it needs to go in there and so I finally tear that thing open and I read the instruction manual I find out that was actually one of the very first pieces that was supposed to go in to the piece of furniture and it was one of the supportive pieces so I spent the next two hours of my life unscrewing this thing taking it apart putting it back in and then building it back now I wonder how many of you have had some experience like that where you've done something really hard only to realize in the end it was all in vain now maybe for you it was a dumb piece of furniture like me but maybe for you it was something more significant maybe it was a relationship boyfriend girlfriend marriage something like that that you poured into you sacrificed for only to watch it go up in smoke maybe for you it was a business venture that folded or a dream you worked really hard for only to watch it slip away in the end i think we all know that feeling of doing something that feels really productive and yet is really hard, only to realize that in the end it was all in vain. And I would argue this morning that the sad reality is that many people in the world today, maybe even most people, listen y'all, live their entire lives in vain. They work and they toil and they build a life for themselves, and in the end it amounts to nothing that matters. And I don't know about you, but I don't want that to be my story. I don't want that to be your story. Certainly, I don't want that to be our collective story as a family of faith here at New Life. So Psalm 127 is going to help us avoid living a life in vain. So really, really critically important stuff for us this morning. Let's go ahead and jump in. This will be on the screen for you if you don't have a Bible. Psalm 127. This is King Solomon, one of the wisest dudes that ever walked the planet. In verse 1 says this unless the lord builds the house those who build it labor in vain if you're a note taker in your bible or on your app underline in vain this is a theme that we're going to come back to again and again this morning those who build it labor in vain unless the lord watches over the city the watchman stays awake in vain there it is for the second time verse two it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now this wisdom psalm is, broken down neatly into two parts that build on one another as we'll see the first part deals with god's blessing in your work and the second part deals with god's blessing in your home so god's blessing in your work first part god's blessing in your home second part now i don't know about you but i want both i'm greedy yeah i want god's blessing in my work in my vocation, but I also surely want his blessing in my home, in my marriage, as I parent my three kids. I want his blessing in every single area of my life. And so here's the game plan. I want to, I want to spend the rest of our time together today contrasting the vain life that Solomon just described with the abundant life that Jesus promised to his followers in the New Testament. Now, Solomon is also going to kind of describe some elements of that abundant life, yet he's reminding us here that it's possible to choose another pathway, I think even for Christians, to work hard in life, to build a life, to build a career, to have a family, to get the white picket fence with the 1.6 kids and the 401k and do all the things, and yet do it all in vain. And so the picture that I really want to paint for you, and I've actually got a, a picture that we're going to put on the screen to kind of, kind of really vividly bring this uh, image to life for you, is, is this. And this is what Solomon is saying. There are really two pathways in life. One pathway, and it looks really the same on the surface as the second pathway, is what we're going to call the vain life. And this is a life where you labor and you labor and you work and you work and you grind, whether it's in school, if you're in school, whether it's a career, if you're in a career, you work and you strive to build a life. And in the end, you realize it was empty. It was fruitless. It was meaningless. It was all in vain. And then we're gonna contrast that pathway, the vain life, with the other pathway, the second pathway known as the abundant life. And as we walk through this, here's the challenge this morning. I want you to determine in your own mind, in your own heart, which of those two pathways you're actually on in your life right now. And maybe, maybe to be honest enough with yourself to say at the end of our time this morning, maybe I need to switch pathways. Like, like maybe I thought I was on one pathway, but I've discovered now I'm actually on this pathway, and I need to kind of redirect or recalibrate the course of my life. And so my hope is that we would do that together this morning. Now, that phrase, as I mentioned, in vain, used three separate times by Solomon in the first two verses, right? Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain, Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise early and go to bed late. Now this word in vain, catch this, in the original language literally means uh, empty, worthless, false, or useless. Now how many want to sign up for that life? Just raise your hand. Empty, worthless, false, useless. Now again, guys, here's the heartbreaking reality. So many of us have been deceived into believing in our culture that busy is better. All right, th- think about the way that we greet each other, right? And I, listen, I'm guilty of this. I catch myself saying it all the time. But don't we ask each other, hey man, how you doing? What do we say? What's the response? Busy but good. That's my go-to, right? And it's true, but that's what I always say. Busy but good. And when I ask most of you in the lobby by the coffee bar on Sunday morning, how you doing? That's usually what I get back, some variation of that. Busy but good as if that's some badge of honor, right? Like this is something that's healthy for us. And we've been conditioned, we've been discipled by our culture with this idea that if we just work hard, work harder, press in, grind, that our life will be abundant. But the reality is for most of us at some point along the journey, we realize that's not true because we grind and we grind and we grind and we end up empty and unfulfilled in life. And this is what Solomon is addressing head on this morning. And he's, he really kind of introduces this idea through two parallel images, building a house and protecting a city. Building a house and protecting a city, guarding a city. And then what he's going to do, he's going to apply those truths to our work, our vocation, and then he's going to apply it to our, our family. So really practical stuff. Look back at verse 1 with me. Solomon says this, "'Unless the Lord builds the house, "'those who build it labor in vain. "'Unless the Lord watches over the city, "'the watchman stays awake in vain.'" Solomon is saying to us, look, if you build your life and then you try to guard it, you try to protect your assets, your family, your career, your wealth, whatever it is, if you try to build it and then guard it without relying on God, in the end, it will all eventually lose its meaning. It will be empty and pointless. And I think in some real sense, this is really a warning against being overconfident in life. I can remember, um, as as a kid growing up, uh, my family was always into sports. My dad played sports. He loved watching sports. And so I kind of got into that as a kid, even growing up overseas in, in South America. As long as I can remember... Um, elementary school onward I played sports right so I ran track and played soccer and we came back to the states and I played basketball and football and even played some intramural stuff in college and so really until about my 40th birthday birthday I fancied myself an athlete right so I thought of myself as as an athlete and a few years ago uh, one of my friends who played golf invited me to play golf with him and I thought I mean I've never played golf but how hard can it be it's a ball and a stick you know I mean I'm an athlete for Pete's sake in fact, I may show him a thing or two, you know? I look more athletic than he does, you know? And so we go out there on, on the course, and, and, and I, kid you, I kid you not, for maybe an hour and an hour and a half, he, he taught me, and it didn't matter how many times he taught me about swinging it and using my motion and not just trying to muscle it. I mean, I hit the turf more than I hit the ball and I was so humiliated at one point I remember looking around like man are people, is anybody watching this like is this gonna be on YouTube like look at this moron trying to play the golf man and so we tried for, and I finally got to the point where I could actually hit the ball off the tee and he would do it and it would go like 200 yards and I would do it and it would like pedal down the the runway you know like 10 yards away and I'm like dude I work out and I'm, I'm gonna get this ball and the harder I tried the worse it got And so I was humiliated, I was humbled, and then I went home and I went to bed and I woke up the next morning and I was in excruciating pain all over my body. I mean, my thighs hurt. I I mean, I was like this for two hours. And so my thighs hurt, my butt hurt, my ribs hurt. I'm like, man, I feel like I've been in a car wreck, right? So if you think golf is easy, it ain't easy. It ain't easy. Now, Now, here's the thing. A lot of us are like that in life. We overestimate our ability to our own demise. We, we overestimate our own d- abilities to our own demise. So let's just build out that contrast between a vain life and abundant life. All this will be on the screens for you if you're a note taker. First mark of a vain life is this. This is what Solomon is saying. Self-sufficiency. Self-sufficient. Now, now listen guys, th- this really comes down to the issue I think of Pride. And it's this thought that I think we all have in our minds that we are capable of doing more than we are actually capable of doing. We think we can handle everything on our own when in actuality we can't. Now now understand this. I, I really believe God wants us. He wants us to find blessing and fulfillment in our work, right? So kind of go back to Genesis. A lot of us think work is like a product of the fall. Actually, no. Work in the garden was instituted before the fall. Like work is good. Vocation is good. Being a student, if you're a student, is good. All those things are good. He wants us to find happiness and fulfillment there, but Solomon is reminding us that it's not going to happen apart from God. Because in the final analysis, listen y'all, it is possible to build a life, build a career, build a family, a home, and do so in a way that counts for nothing in the end. And what Psalm 127 really, at its heart, is teaching us is this, friend, don't live a self-sufficient life. Now, again, our culture, the Western culture, prizes the idea of the lone ranger, of the cowboy who pulls himself up by his bootstraps. But God, in his mercy here, is reminding us that is a dead-end street. Self-sufficiency leads to restlessness because in that scenario, at least in your mind, everything depends on you. And so what happens is we end up carrying the weight of the world on our shoulders, and we try to carry things that we were never designed to carry, and it crushes us. So that's one side of the ledger is self-sufficiency. That's the vain life. Now, let's contrast that with the words of Jesus in John chapter 10. This will be on the screens for you. Jesus says this, I am the door. And listen, y'all, I love this imagery. Jesus says, I am the door. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, listen, y'all, there is a power. Way that the world offers and it's the one where you work and you work and you're up early and you stay up late and you grind and you grind and you grind and you work and you build and you strive but in the end it's vanity it's empty it's purposeless it's pointless but jesus is saying i'm, I'm telling you i'm telling you i am the door to another pathway to a different pathway, to a pathway that's less traveled. And he continues on in chapter 10. He says this, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. It's this idea of rest and restoration and rejuvenation. Verse 10, the thief, our our enemy, Satan, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it, what church? Abundantly. And that's the second pathway, isn't it? Solomon is describing the the, the, the pathway that is a vain life, and Jesus is describing a totally different pathway, the abundant life. You'd be thinking, well, that sounds great, Chris, but like how do I get on that other pathway? Like, like I need a GPS or some, a map or something like how do I get on that other pathway? Jesus tells us exactly how. He gives us the key to unlock that door into that other pathway. Just a few chapters later in John 15, one of my favorite chapters of the entire Bible, it's on the screens for you. Jesus says this. Remember he said, "I'm I'm the door. Now he says this, I am the vine. You are the branches. In other words, I am the source of life, not you. I'm the source of life. Whoever abides in me, whoever communes with me, whoever's in relationship with me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me you can do what church nothing not a little bit without him not some bit not half of it without me Jesus says you can do nothing that will actually count in this life now that's the first mark of the abundant life that Jesus wants for you I believe on the screens for you is the opposite of self-sufficiency and that is reliance on God Reliance on God. Listen, you you want the abundant life that Jesus offered. Learn to rely on God, not self. Now let me, if I could, make it personal for a moment here. Students, if you're here, middle school student, high school student, college student, without the Lord, you study in vain. Professionals, small business owners, without the Lord, you work in vain. Married folk in the room, unless the Lord heals your marriage— You work, fight, argue, say sorry, sleep on the couch, and make up in vain. As a church family, collectively, unless the Lord builds his house here, we work in vain. We volunteer in vain. I preach in vain. We worship in vain. We send out mission teams in vain. We help the poor in vain. Unless God is in it, I don't want any part of it, and we don't need it. That's exactly what Psalm 127 is saying here. There's this uh, remarkable story in Exodus 33. I've read many times. I went back and read it again this week where some of you are familiar with it. Moses leads God's people out of slavery, right? They've been promised a promised land overflowing with milk and honey and abundance and all kinds of incredible things. Because of their rebellion, they actually wander in the desert for 40 long years. 40 long years, Some of you maybe are are there right now, right? You're like, man, that's me. I'm I'm in the desert. I've been promised the abundant life. I've been promised the promised land, but I I just feel like, man, I'm dry and everything is dusty in my life. And man, that's where I'm at. I'm in the desert. And there's a scene in Exodus 33 where where God actually comes to Moses and he says to Moses, hey, listen, Moses, I'm gonna give you the promised land. I'm gonna hold true to my word. But because the people are so stiff-necked and rebellious, I can't go in with you because i would i would have to bring judgment i would have to consume them so i'm gonna i'm gonna give you everything you've ever dreamed of there's just one catch i i'm not coming with you my presence can't go with you and there's this incredible scene where moses responds and he says god if you're not going i don't want to go either and in essence what moses was saying is god i don't i don't care about the riches i don't care about the wealth i don't care about the ease I don't care about the houses and the vineyards. If you're not there, I'm staying out here in the desert with you. I choose the desert in your presence over vineyards apart from you. I choose living in this busted up dusty tent in the desert in your presence over living in a palace away from you. I choose poverty with you instead of riches without you. This is a beautiful picture, I think, of what reliance, abiding in God actually looks like practically. And so church family, let me just, if I could, let me just ask you a question. And don't answer it out loud. This is just for self-reflection purposes. If you could have the promised land, everything you've ever dreamed of, the perfect spouse, the Instagram-worthy life, all the great vacations the dream house with the granite countertops and the whole nine yards and whatever your dream car is a brand new jacked up Ford Bronco for those of you into materialistic worldly things I mean I, I don't, I'm not into that but some of y'all sinners probably are like, just think about whatever like whatever that thing or that life looks like for you if you could have your version of the promised land there's only one catch you get it without God's presence would you take the deal everything you ever dreamed of, just one little catch, you don't have God's presence with you. Do you take that deal? Because here's the reality. If if there's even the inkling in your heart, like, yeah, yeah, I might, or yeah, I think I I would. I think what Solomon is saying to us here is, listen, friend, you are living a self-sufficient life on the path to a vain, empty, meaningless life. When Jesus is offering you so much more, but friend, listen, here's the key. You have to rely on him. You have to abide in him. Self-reliance is lethal to your soul. I think that's what Solomon is saying here. And he continues on, the same kind of train of thought in verse 2. Look, he says this, it is vain. Second time he uses that phraseology, it is vain that you rise up early and go to late rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. So here's the second mark of a vain life. It's self-trust, not only self-sufficiency, this goes deeper to the spiritual level. It's self-trust. And by the way, y'all, this is our natural instinct. This is my natural instinct. We come out of our mother's womb good at this. We don't have to think about this. We just do this by second nature. What Solomon is doing here is he's painting a picture for us of someone who is burning the candle on both ends. Up early, working late, missing family dinners, trying to accomplish, trying to achieve everything in their own strength. And this leads to As Solomon says, the words he uses, anxious toil in that verse. Which means that this kind of life, this kind of philosophy, this pathway in life leads us to anxiety and even depression. And do we not live in a culture that is just riddled with anxiety and depression? Listen, y'all, we live in the most wealthy nation, the most Amazing time in world history. We have more stuff, more money, more houses, more savings than anybody ever in world history, and yet we know that anxiety levels and depression levels are soaring in our culture. Why is that? I think at least in part it's because I think what happens is we eventually figure out, we eventually run into a problem that we figure out we can't solve. We eventually try to heal a wound that we can't heal on our own. We eventually encounter a circumstance That we can't control as hard as we might And so your nights become restless You struggle to sleep Because you can't turn your mind off Because it all depends on you Anyone else ever been there Just can't even sleep at night We've Got six honest people, a bunch of liars in the church And be praying for y'all in sabbatical That you would repent Listen the, the, This is ultimately, I believe This is ultimately rooted In self-trust another way of saying that is it's rooted in a lack of trust in God so that that's the that's the vain life but what about the abundant life that Jesus promised his followers I think the remedy to self-trust and this is not going to be a surprise to you is trust in who not you (laughs) not yourself it's trust in God right The opposite of self-trust is trust in someone else. In this case, it's trust in our creator, the almighty, the sovereign one. That's the second mark of the abundant life. Trust in God. And listen, y'all, this truth is splashed all over the pages of scripture from Genesis to the book of Revelation. Let me just share a couple of these passages with you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, this is Solomon writing again. He says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. that's an important word, All not in some of your ways not in half of your ways not in the ways in your life the sections of your life that you want to give to God no he says all of your ways acknowledge or trust him and he will make straight your path. Psalm 20 verse 7 penned by David King Solomon's father he says this some trust in chariots some trust in horses but we the people of God trust in the name of the Lord our God trust in God the key that unlocks this abundant life that Jesus has offered us as his followers. And then at the end of verse two, we get this beautiful promise. It says this on the screens for you. For he gives to his beloved sleep or rest. So Solomon is now contrasting the third mark of the vain life, which is this, restless toil. The word he actually uses is anxious toil. This means the same thing, restless toil. That's what we just talked about. This whole idea of self-trust leads to restless toil right burning the candle at both ends trying to make it happen in our own strength not trusting god in any of it but the beautiful promise of god is this listen y'all if you'll just god is saying if you'll just trust me if you'll just rely on me i will give you rest and you can go to bed at night with all the problems in the world and rest sleep like a baby because while you sleep i'm awake While you sleep, I'm building the house. While you sleep, I'm guarding the city. I'm watching over you. And this is the third mark of the abundant life Jesus promised us. Number three is to rest in God. Not in our own work, but to learn how to rest in God. Rest in God. Now, I want you to listen to the words of Jesus as he describes and unpacks this concept for us in Matthew 6. This will be on the screens for you. Jesus says this, Therefore, I tell you, Don't worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you worth more than they are? Can any of you add a single moment to his or her lifespan by worrying? This is a good question i would just ask you that question can you add even an hour to your lifespan by wor- actually you might shave some 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 days and weeks and months off by worrying right but his point stands it's pointless to worry if you're a child of god and why do you worry about clothes for us maybe, maybe we modernize it why do you worry about paying your rent Or paying your mortgage or your car payment or your student loans or your medical debt or whatever it is why are you worried about that Jesus is saying observe how the wildflowers of the field grow they don't labor or spin thread yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these if that's how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today thrown into the furnace tomorrow won't he do much more for you O you of little faith So don't worry saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? Or how will I pay my rent? Or how will I pay off my debt? Or what will we wear? For the Gentiles, the people who don't know God, eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first the kingdom of God, the abundant life, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you or provided for you. Now listen, y'all, this is an invitation from Jesus into the abundant life. He's saying to us, he's saying to you this morning, why won't you rest in me? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I'm capable of? Don't you know how big my shoulders are? Why are you trying to carry all of that? You were never designed to carry it. I can carry it. Bring it to me and rest in me. Now, yes, work hard. This is not permission to, to be a lazy loser your whole life, right? Jesus is not saying, hey, when you're 28 years old, you should be working four hours a week at Starbucks and playing Call of Duty eight hours a day in your parents' basement. That's that's not permission to do that. We ought to work hard. We ought to provide for ourselves, provide for our family. But at the end of the day, Jesus is saying, lay it all down, son. Rest in me, daughter. what he's saying ultimately is i got you so why are you worrying why are you stressing rest in me what did jesus say in matthew chapter 11 come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and i will give you what rest and i will give you rest church family why do we rest in god I'll tell you exactly why we can rest in God. Did you notice what Solomon said there at the end of that last verse? It says, he, God, gives rest to who? To his beloved, to his beloved. So I just wanna encourage you, man, if you're in the room this morning, if you're watching online this morning, if you're in Christ, if you've turned from your sins as imperfectly as your life may be right now, if you're following hard the best that you can after Jesus, You should know, and I want you to claim this truth this morning, you are safe in the love of God this morning, friend. You are safe in his love. Claim this identity for yourself. You are his beloved. You're his chosen son or daughter. He loves you. He is for you, not against you. I love the way a pastor and author, Brennan Manning, wrote this. He he passed away about ten years ago, but his quote will be on the screens for you. He writes this: "My trust in God flows out of the experience of His loving me day in and day out, whether the day is stormy or fair, whether I am sick or in good health, whether I am in a state of grace or disgrace. He comes to me where I live and loves me as I am." I don't know about you, man, but that's good news that's really good news we can rest in him we can trust in him we can rely on him and find a pathway that leads to the abundant life it's a beautiful truth now the second half of the chapter we move from god's blessing and his provision in our work to his blessing and provision in our home and again i want both in my life i want to bless my work i want to bless my house my home my family so let's look at that verse three he says behold children are a heritage from the lord the fruit of the womb a reward like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth blessed is the man who fills his quiver that's where warriors would store their arrows in battle fills his quiver with them he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate now let me just for a moment before we dive into that and unpack it a little bit let me speak to the uh singles in the room for for just a second uh, whenever we come to passages like this in the scriptures, I was talking about marriage or parenting or some dynamic, some dynamic like that, I want to be mindful that that you guys, uh, and you guys are a huge percentage of our church family, singles, don't feel forgotten or left out. And so I want to say something that runs countercultural, uh, but but if you're a single person, I want you to take this to heart. I'm going to say this, and I want you to again just kind of make a mental note of it. Being single does not make you incomplete. Being single does not make you incomplete regardless of what the culture tries to sell you. Now listen, guys, I've been married for almost 20 years. I adore my wife. She does not complete me. I don't complete her. We, We were never designed to do that for one another and in one another. Only Jesus can complete me. Only Jesus can complete her. So, I'm completed as a married man, the same way that you, as a single man or single woman, are. You are made complete in Jesus. You are made whole in Jesus. Now, just to like illustrate this a little bit further, Jesus, his entire life on planet Earth, 33, 34 years, whatever it was, he was single. Paul, who penned most of the New Testament, was single. I can tell you without hesitation, some of our most dynamic leaders at New Life are single people. Now, the reality is this. like God gives some people a season of singleness. He gives other people, as Paul describes it, the spiritual gift of singleness for a lifetime. Listen, y'all, singleness is not a curse. It can be a blessing. So for singles, whether it's singleness for a season, whether it's the spiritual gift of singleness for your entire life, listen, understand this. These same principles apply to your spiritual family. Your spiritual kids that you mentor and disciple in the ways of Jesus. I think about some of our, uh, some of our, our student leaders in our, in our youth group. I think about, he'll probably kill me, but Robert over there, single, not for long, he's gonna be married. Man, he's invested in his small group of men for years. Spiritual father to them. Think about Laura Beth and how she can invest in the next generation through YWAM and Reshma's Project, working with the victims of human sex trafficking in India, single, has all kinds of spiritual children all over the world. This applies to you. It applies to married folks as well. Listen, your spiritual parents, the people that have poured into you, invested in you, these principles are just as much for you, single person, as they are for me as a married father. You are not excluded. Now, the reality is this. For most of us knuckleheads, God knows we need a spouse to keep us on track, in check, all right? If you know me, could you imagine me as a single man for all my life? Be a train wreck, right? Of epic proportions, right? So that, with that caveat, out of the way, I just uh, singles, you're seen, you're loved, you're valued. This is for you as well. Here's what Solomon is saying, and write this down if you're taking notes. This is important. Children are a blessing, That's the opposite of what our culture teaches us, isn't it? Children are a blessing, not a curse. And what he's saying is, guys, listen, not just in your workplace, not just if you're a student in your school, even with our families in our homes, we need to apply these same principles to our family life. We need to rely on God, trust in God, and rest in Him. Listen, parents, is there anything harder to trust God with sometimes than with our kids? And again, y'all, listen, we need to hear this today because we live in a time and a culture, listen, that sees children as a burden and a barrier rather than a treasure and a reward. And I'm just telling, I may step on some toes. I'm gonna say it anyway. All, all the stats, all the trends bear this out, especially in Western culture, especially among Anglo people. Every year, the, these stats go up, up and up, right? We continue delaying the age of, of marriage, year by year we get older and older the average uh, age of marriage the rate of children per family is declining at never seen before in history rates again especially among Anglo westerners to the point where some nations are literally on the verge of population collapse like Japan they're in crisis mode some European countries are literally paying families to have babies Man, how did we get here And I would argue it's because we see kids as a barrier to building career and a drain on our financial goals. And Solomon is saying, no, 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 people of God, we must not see children the way the world sees children. We must see children the way God sees them. In three ways, he says right here that God sees children that we ought to see children as well. As a heritage, number one, as a reward, number two, and as arrows, number three, as protection. Heritage, it's this idea of an inheritance of great value. He said, that's what kids are. It's like an inheritance of great value, a reward, the second word he uses there. This is the idea of running away a race and winning a, a medal or a trophy that you proudly display to anyone who comes in your home. And then finally, he says, children are like arrows. It's this idea of protection in your old age, especially you got to remember, in ancient times, there were no retirement plans. There was no 401K. There was no social nets from the government. There was no Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare, no nursing homes. So in ancient times, man, if you didn't have kids to care for you in old age, you were up the creek. And I would argue that these same principles, although differently, still apply today. Listen, kids advocate or should advocate for their parents in old age. They should care for them. They should provide for them. They should protect them. Listen, y'all, this is a godly and noble task. And so if you're in that stage of life where you've got older parents and you're caring for them, let me just encourage you. This is a a God-honoring task that he's given us. Honor your father and your mother. We should care for our parents in their old age as they cared for us in our infancy. And Solomon is saying, listen, apply these same truths that we just talked about in your work life, in your, in your school life, to your family life. Listen, I don't know if y'all know this. Raising kids is hard work. Y'all know that? From toddlers to teenagers, ain't none of it easy. And I can remember as a young dad being so stinking naive. At one point, I think we had three kids under five or three kids under six or something, and I, just, I remember thinking, God, if we could just get out of this stage... It would be so easy, and I got teenagers now. And I just want to tell you, it ain't easy. It didn't get any easier. It's just different, hard, but it's still hard. Now, I talked to the singles. Let me let me talk to the parents in the room just for, for a second. Mom and Dad, a great way to absolutely jack up your kid for life is parenting in your own wisdom and your own strength. way to absolutely crush your kid's future is to parent in your own wisdom and your own strength. And what Solomon is saying to us here is he's saying, mom and dad, don't do it in your own strength or your own wisdom. Do not try to parent without relying on God because in the end, it will all be in vain. Now let me, let me close just by saying this. As a, a father of three beautiful kids whom I adore more than life itself, I'm just telling you, if parenting were up to me, if their well-being ultimately were up to me, I couldn't sleep at night, y'all. And I still can't sleep at night sometimes, but I really could never sleep at night if that were the case. The only way I can rest as a father, three kids that I adore, is resting in the fact that I know God loves them more than I do. So listen, church family, apply, what Solomon is saying is apply these truths to every area of your life work school family singleness relationships business all of it listen y'all here's the reality when the lord builds the house it is not in vain when the lord watches over the city or your family it is not in vain when the lord loves you when he calls you his beloved you can rest in life so let's learn to rely on him trust in him rest in him why because He loves us. He cares for us. Now, we experience God's love and the abundant life. Everything that we've talked about that's so beautiful. For those of you in the room watching online who maybe aren't yet followers of Christ, here, here's the deal. Here's the gospel. Here, here's the good news. Here's the Christian faith in a nutshell. The way, the only way we get to experience everything we've talked about, listen y'all, is through a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's through his sinless, perfect life, the one that we should have lived but couldn't, so he came and lived it on our behalf. It's by his atoning sacrifice on the cross, his death to pay for your sin, your rebellion, my sin, my rebellion. It's through his resurrection from the dead that he offers us a pathway into this abundant life, not just in eternity in heaven, but right now on earth as well. It's through him that we're made, made whole, we're forgiven, we're set free, we're loved, we're at rest. So let me just say, man, if you're in the room, if you're watching online and you would just have to confess, man, like, ah, I think I'm on, I think I'm on that wrong pathway, man. I think I'm on the vain pathway. I'm striving and I'm working and I'm burning the candle at both ends and I'm exhausted and I'm frustrated and I feel like I'm on the hamster wheel and I'm running and I'm running, but I'm not getting any further in life. I need to rest, but I don't think that I have a relationship with God through his son. Jesus, let me just encourage you. Would you lay it all down and surrender to him completely today? Not part of your life, all of your life. And just confess to him, God, I'm a sinner. I'm a rebel. I've been trying to do it in my own strength for so long, but not today. All of that ends now. I'm giving my life to you, Jesus. I want to know you. I want you to send your Holy Spirit, put it inside of me, and I want to rest in you, trust in you, rely on you like I never have before. If that's you, let me just encourage you. Do that today before you leave, before you log off. We're going to sing in a minute. I'm going to be right up here. Other prayer partners, come talk to us. Come pray with us. If you're online, reach out. We'd love to tell you how to take those steps to begin a relationship with Jesus. Now, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray, and then we're going to celebrate by taking the Lord's Supper. God, we come to you, and we are grateful that we can rely on you, that you're a trustworthy God, that you're a big God, you're a powerful God, you're a strong God. We can rely on you, we can trust in you, we can rest in you. God, would you forgive us for the times that we've tried to do it in our own strength? God, would you forgive us for the times where we've been self-sufficient in our work life, in our, in our, in our academic career, with our kids, in our single life, in our relationships, with our businesses, God, would you forgive us for self-sufficiency and self-trust? which leads to restless toil, depression, anxiety in our lives. God, forgive us for choosing a pathway that you have not designed for your sons and daughters to walk on. And God, for those of us who are maybe having a light bulb moment right now and we're realizing, hey man, I thought I was on this pathway, but actually I think I'm on the other pathway and that's why I feel so run down and drained and despondent and cynical in life. God, God, would you help that person Be willing to lay it all down and come to you, the door, the gate to the other pathway, the pathway of abundance, the abundant life, heaven on earth, knowing you through Jesus as we learn to rely on you, trust in you, rest in you, lay it down before your feet and just enjoy life as it comes knowing that we have a good Father who is sovereign and powerful over the entire universe. God, would you help us do that increasingly, starting today, tomorrow when we wake up, help us not forget these truths, these lessons. Help us increasingly do this so that we look more like your son Jesus. And we ask and pray all these things in his strong name.